Welcome in, everybody, to the Phantom Football Podcast. It is a privilege to have you all on board this week. Uh, we've said it every week, a fun NFL set of games, but this was one of the best. I, I don't know if it's the best, but this was fantastic. A lot of crazy stuff going on. Simon Short joining us once again. Ronan Summers joining us once again. Simon, I'll start with you. How are you doing? Ben, I'm great. It was a topsy-turvy week. I think every game was either close all the way throughout or had some kind of crazy comeback happen. So uh, a lot for us to talk about. I'm really excited. It's fun stuff. We're going to break it up in just a second. Ronan first, how you doing this week? I'm doing good. This past week of football has been complete insanity, and I'm all for it. Before we get into it, a little bit of news that just broke. I, I say broke, but uh, Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network, is is uh, telling us that there is growing momentum, quote, toward pushing the trade deadline back later in the season now if i if i've got my dates right this year it was something like november 1st for, for 2022 simon i'll start with you uh what's your feeling on this yeah i'm all for it i mean let's let's you know week eight is you're still figuring out so much about your team about the other teams either in your division your conference or in the league as a whole push it back by two weeks figure out who the real buyers and sellers are hopefully get either some uh, more guys on the trade block that that are coming off of bad teams, give more teams more time to work out a deal, get guys like Brandon Cooks out of bad teams who's been trying to leave for two or three seasons. Um, uh, always, always, always go for it. Push it back as far as you guys want. I really don't even care. Roland, agree, disagree, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, injuries obviously happen, and they're in the midseason, especially – Right around right right after week eight is kind of whenever the rush of injuries kind of spike, <laughs> and uh, a lot of teams are kind of SOL. So you know if if teams can have that extra two weeks to, you know, be able to upgrade at certain positions, you know, maybe whether that be injury, whether that be poor performance, uh, absolutely push it back, let teams get better. I'm all in favor of it as well. I've always thought Thanksgiving was kind of the mark at which Several teams already know that they're toast. They're done. They would never admit it in public, but they already know this is not our year. Um, you know, and maybe you don't want people you know, moving around right at Thanksgiving, but the week before, you guys already mentioned it about two weeks out. So I would love that. That would be, I, I think, uh, it would give a lot more teams a lot more chances to decide what they want to do at a later date in the season. And it would be a lot more entertaining for us as fans as well. Injuries this week, not quite so pleasant news, but important nonetheless. The Bengals, um, they've already got uh, Hendrickson kind of coming and going a little bit with his with his injury. Defensive end Sam Hubbard has a calf injury for a few weeks as well. And then an already thin secondary defensive back, Cam Taylor Britt, the rookie, I think from Nebraska. Uh, he'll be a, he's got a shoulder injury, be out for a little bit. So just keep that in mind as you're watching Bengals games, that they do have a little bit of a bang-up uh, defense there. Shouldn't be anybody out for the season, but you might want to keep an eye on it there as they're competing with the Chiefs there and the Bills, maybe for, for number one seed. We'll see uh, moving forward. Cowboys linebacker Leighton Vander Esch with a shoulder injury. Simon, take that one first. Yeah, Leighton Vander Esch is kind of an old-school run-blocking, uh, run-blocking, uh, run-stopping linebacker for the Cowboys, and we know Dallas has had their issues defending the run already so far this season um 
Jonathan Hankins, I think I, I got that name right. The defensive tackle they traded they traded for at the trade deadline to help with that. He's already on IR. Uh, Lane Van Der Esch could be out for a few weeks with a shoulder stinger. It's it's not what we thought during the game, where it was a possible re-aggravation of that neck injury that he suffered and had surgery on a few years ago. Um, but if he's gone, that that messes up a lot of what they do. Anthony Barr, um, who's the veteran linebacker they brought in from Minnesota this season, he's played a lot or a little bit all over the place. They, they've used him as a mix of an edge rusher and a off-ball linebacker so far this year, and he just kind of mixes in. He's only played about a third of the snaps over the last few weeks. He's been out with some injuries as well, but he had to play 93% of the snaps last week against Jacksonville. Um, and, and the Cowboys, you know, gave up the, the, I think the most points they have this season without Van Der Esch there against, uh, the Jaguars 40 points. So that's really, really tough. Uh, if Dallas is going to continue to lose a starter a week, basically, you know, they've already been missing cornerbacks and, and linemen and now late Van Der Esch, this top one defense that we had just a few weeks ago could, kind of lose its luster as we go into playoffs and you want to be trending upward, not downward as we get closer to the postseason. It's a great point, Simon, and I'll double down on it. This was already a Cowboys defense that was not great against the run. They were, they've been hovering around 4.5, 4.6 the entire year, even in their good games. You could run on this team without the guys you mentioned. Now it starts to give other teams at least a chance to maybe slow down that pass rush by running the football a little bit more, something to keep an eye on there for Dallas. Simon, I'll keep it with you here. I'm going to pull it up right now. The next injury, Cam Robinson, offensive tackle for the Jaguars. I know a guy that you love, I like, you love. He is out for the season with a knee injury. That is such a bummer, man. He played so well against Micah Parsons in this game against the Cowboys. Aside from one rep where, where Parsons got him on a speed to power move. Robinson really was playing well. He was pumped up that game too, really jacking everybody up on the sideline. Um, this is a big deal for the Jaguars. Go going from Cam Robinson to it's going to be Walker Little playing left tackle, who's a serviceable swing tackle. He actually played left and right tackle in this game against Dallas, but that's a major drop off for a team that with Trevor Lawrence back there, not fully comfortable in the pocket yet not completely fully comfortable every single week in who he is and what he can do um you you need that blind side you know left tackle protecting you and this Jaguars team has also been getting it going on the run uh you know we just mentioned against the Cowboys they actually had their best running game of the season and I think they had the third best running game against the Cowboys this season in that game. And a lot of it was to the left side with Robinson crashing down and Brandon Sheriff pulling over to the left side. Um, obviously that combo not being there is going to be a big deal. We'll see how they adjust, but this is a team that's actually making a playoff push and a divisional push, which we'll talk about later. Um, so losing your left tackle who has really been playing well this season uh, is certainly going to be a blow. Timing stinks. They're a game behind the Titans who are reeling right now with injuries and a fire GM and just no momentum at all. It really sucks there for the Jaguars. Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts, shoulder sprain. Of, can you talk about bad timing? Big game coming up against the Cowboys, Summit. Yeah, also really bad timing for my fantasy team, man. Come on. It, we're in the finals now. Uh, luckily, no, uh, listen, I know Hurts' Twitter mentions are on fire right now hearing about this. So obviously, this is a joke. I'm not going to add to it, but I am going to add to it a little bit uh, because come on, man. I mean, you, you helped me get a 40 point lead in my, in my two week 
uh, first round playoff series. I appreciate that. Just come in on, on some goal line work, right? Don't, don't, you know, don't throw your shoulder out or anything, but just get a couple runs. Uh, but in all seriousness, this is a bummer for the Eagles. You know, you never like to see the word sprain because that also just kind of means you don't really know how long it's going to last. Um, but Hertz is a tough guy, man. I would not expect him to be out long with this. Uh, Jordan Mailata, the uh, left tackle, had a, had a quote in an interview where, you know, somebody asked him about, I think it was that hit that Hertz went down on. And he said it was the only time he was worried about Hertz all season because he took a little longer to get up than he normally does. Um, and my lotta ran over to him and said, Stay down, man, stay down, stay down. And Hertz said, Pick me up, MFR. And so my lotta just said, Yes, sir, picked him up. So uh Hertz has been awesome this year. Obviously, the whole MVP discussion is what it is, but um, you you just hope he can take whatever time he needs, a, a week, two weeks, whatever, and, and come back healthy because we want a strong playoff run from this guy. So it doesn't sound like it's going to be lingering or a big deal. So take take the time you need. Absolutely. Ronan, the Colts running back, Jonathan Taylor, ankle out for the season. The Colts aren't going anywhere. But talk to us about Jonathan Taylor for a minute. No, we haven't. And, you know, last year, Jonathan Taylor had this phenomenal season. And obviously, uh, this year has been a decline. Now, <laughs> the team in general, uh, Indy, has declined so you can't necessarily point your finger at Jonathan Taylor and say oh he fell off he's done for uh as you said he sprained his ankle uh in the matchup against the Vikings and they're gonna go ahead and shut him down for the season not really much of a point to have him run on a on a sprained ankle uh while you're losing games with really nothing behind it uh so shut down your star and uh keep your fingers crossed for next year hopefully you can get healthy and uh hopefully have a better offensive line to run behind. Totally agree. Uh, there's a lot more at stake next year than there is for the last three games here for the Colts. Jets quarterback Mike White probably out again for Thursday night football. Uh, the ribs continue to bother him, Ronan. Yes, sir. He suffered that injury against the matchup against the Bills, and uh, it's still lingering. Zach Wilson is looking like he's going to be getting the start, the Cougar himself, the Cougar killer maybe. Uh <laughs> But Zach Wilson getting the start for the uh, for the Jets, who knows how that's going to go. We've we've seen Zach Wilson multiple times uh, throughout the past two seasons, and it, we haven't seen much from him. So uh, on the flip side of that, Mike White has actually raised eyebrows. So is Mike White someone who the Jets consider to go with moving forward? Do they go with Zach Wilson? Do they ditch both of them and take someone in the draft or free agency? That's going to be an interesting topic this offseason. Well, it's a great point. I'll use that to tell our audience, our listeners, that come the offseason after the Super Bowl's over, we're going to be hard and heavy on the draft and free agency and on a lot of teams' uh, uh, plans for the offseason. So we're going to be deep and heavy on that. Look forward to that coming up. That's all the injuries for tonight that we're going to cover. Monday night football, the Packers beat the Rams 24-12. to Ronan, I'll let you start because it's your team. Uh, talk about uh, how the Rams looked. They, they lost, but how did they look in this game? Uh, not well. Baker kind of had the, the game that we expected, expected him to have against the Raiders. He went 12 for 21, 111 yards, one touchdown and one pick. Uh, Cam Akers kind of got rolling. You, you kind of, as a Rams fan, you'd like to see him maybe get the ball a little bit more. Uh, even with kind of the dramatics that were going on midseason. Uh, we're kind of to the point where that doesn't matter and we just need to give whoever is doing the best the ball. And uh, Akers had 12 carries for 65 yards, didn't score. Uh, but 
the Rams didn't necessarily look great on offense. Defensively, uh, in the first half, they were shutting the Packers down, uh, at least to an extent. That errant pick by Rodgers, I don't know what, what – what, can you guys explain that one to me? Because during the broadcast, that just – it didn't click, and they didn't really elaborate on it. So it's kind of been the whole thing with Rodgers this whole season, right, where he wants his receivers to be on this very specific page and it's not always clear on who's right and who's wrong. And and if this had, if that had been Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs uh, on that route on the interception, it would have been very easy to blame one of them. We even saw Christian Watson miss a last uh, minute touchdown opportunity, also good for my fantasy team, um, because he kind of missed he missed a a clear sign from Rogers that the ball was going to be coming to him. But this was Alan Lazard, the guy that Rodgers has been kind of praising all season for being his guy and a veteran and been with him. So really, it was just two guys not being on the same page. Lazard uh, kind of ramped down. He saw the safety over top. He he was expecting that ball to come underneath. Rodgers wanted him to keep going and basically try to fight through the safety and go for the touchdown. Two guys just not on the same page. But that's been the case with Rodgers and all of his receivers really all season. But to kind of sum it all up, uh, that Packers offense, although they were struggling in that first half, they did end up with a total of 345 yards, and uh, they ran the ball extremely well. A.J. Dillon had two rumbles into the end zone, uh, but A.J. Jones – or Aaron – A.J. Jones. Aaron Jones uh, had 17 carries for 90 yards, so he was actually the leading rusher despite uh, Dillon rumbling in for two tuds. Well, very good. Simon, wrap us up on the Packers side of things. Only thing I care about with the Packers uh, that that I take as legitimate after this game is Quay Walker is really starting to show some flashes, man. And, and that was a guy we talked about earlier this season. First round pick linebacker out of Georgia. Um, has all the athletic tools, very good size, very good toughness. And he was just reading things a little bit too slowly at the beginning of the year, which obviously makes sense. He's a rookie linebacker. He's not playing with the greatest defense, um, but he's starting to come on. He was making plays behind the line of scrimmage. He got his hand on hands on a couple passes. He almost had to pick six up the sideline from Baker at one point in that first half. So uh, Quay Walker is a guy that's making some noise. And I want to give one last uh, Ram shout out here. Matt Gay, man. If I had to give an award, Pat McAfee award, maybe for the, the tough specialist out there. Um, he missed that one extra point and Packers players were coming up to congratulate him. And he was pushing these like 300 pound dudes out of his way. And then he makes that tackle on the, on the kickoff in the fourth quarter, I think. And, and um, Jair Alexander yeah, came up and kind of stood over him while going to pick up his guy. And that's nice and all. Yeah. You should. Yeah. And okay. I'm fine. With, it's not a, Dirty play. I'm not mad at you, but Matt Gay did his thing. He wasn't going to take that, so he got up and tried to fight everybody on the Packers sideline. So uh, that that those are the two things I cared about from this game: Quay Walker development and, and Matt Gay, the kicker, getting in fights. That's a good time for me. Yes, love it. Get out the popcorn, enjoy it. <laughs> Bills beat the Dolphins. What well, was probably really the game of the week? Uh, you could also toss the Vikings Colts in there, but Bills Dolphins. Uh, Bills win 32 to 29. Simon, I'll start with you, and then I'll uh, add in some of my own thoughts as well. What a game, guys. I mean, this is the kind of game that some eight-year-old is just out there and turned on for the first time, or they're in front of the TV every Sunday or something, but this they're finally old enough to figure out what's happening. A back-and-forth game, a lot of offense, a lot of dramatic, 
there's a snowball fight happening and then the snow actually starts falling in the fourth quarter as things really get tight. I mean, what, what better kind of day of football can you get right there? I don't, I don't really know, but in terms of the game itself, I was very surprised the bills didn't do defensively something more similar to what the chargers and 49ers had been doing in terms of press man coverage and in terms of taking away the middle of the field, they were actually kind of soft in a lot of those aspects. They played more men than they normally do. They're normally a very zone-heavy team. But they gave uh, Waddle and Hill a lot of room to operate in the middle of the field um, and a lot of room off of the line of scrimmage. And also, shout-out for the Dolphins uh, getting their run game together. They had, I think, their most rushing yards on the season or second-highest total rushing yards on the season because they got their tackles back to Ron Armstead and Brandon Shell, first time they both started and played for the last few weeks. And Josh Allen is back, man. First 300-yard game since November 13th against the Vikings, and he had four touchdowns, which he hasn't done since week six or so against the Steelers. So really fun, really high-scoring, really dramatic game, and the snow just makes it all the better. Yeah, Simon, I love it. I'm going to go straight to what you've already mentioned, Dolphins running the football. Hey, where was this against the Chargers? Because they had Armstead mm-hmm. against the Chargers, even though they didn't have the other guy. And yeah. you have to know that they could probably pass a run block just as good as they could pass block. So uh, the Dolphins should have been doing this against the Chargers. They did it against the Bills. When they do that, it opens up the secondary for Tua. He doesn't have to throw into a Titus Windows, Titus Lanes. You already mentioned the Bills weren't playing tight defense anyway, inexplicably, really. But when the Dolphins run the football, it takes all the pressure off of Tua. Now he has more freedom to get the ball downfield. If you're in the mood for more football content from Phantom Sports Industries, subscribe to our newest podcast, the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Brandon Tim. Together, we'll take a deep dive into the data of fantasy football to get the weekly dubs and come out on top as our league's champion. We'll see you at the next episode, coming soon. Once again, this is the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast from Phantom Sports Industries. See you there. For those keeping track at home, today's over-under for Ben's questions asked that we weren't prepped for is now four and a half. We blew past the over last week at three and a half, so Vegas had to reset it. Um, But I'm actually going to pull a Ben here and ask a question based on uh, everything Ben just said. So guys, with Tua and, and what we saw for the two down weeks with the 49ers and Chargers games, and then the adjustment we saw this week, right, Ben, great point on... They, they really hit home the run game that really started to open things up and give Tua a lot more time again, which is what he needs. And, and he had a pretty good game because of that. Where are we currently slotting Tua amongst the quarterbacks in the NFL? Is he in that elite group? Is he a top 10 guy? Is he an above average guy? Where do we currently stand on Tua at this point in the season? Uh, Ronan, you go first. You know, okay. I don't have, you know, like my quarterbacks ranked in my head, like at the very moment. But if I had to take a shot in the dark, I would say he's in that 10 to 15 area. He's reliable enough to get you the win. You're comfortable sending him out there as your starter. But at the same time, you can't necessarily ask him to do the same things that someone like Josh Allen, that Patrick Mahomes, like even Joe Burrow can do uh, whenever things kind of get tough. So that's currently where I've got Tua. Uh, obviously he's got, you know, all of the ceiling in the world. All he's got to do is prove it. Uh, but th- that's where I've got him kind of set in at right now. Ben. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's, that's about where I would put him too. And I'll say this, 
it's one thing if you're Tua to light defenses up for the first two months of the week when everybody's facing all kinds of changes and they don't really expect too much out of you anyway. But as we get deeper into the season, there's all kinds of film out. Defenses start to lock down on what you can and can't do. And then you need the run game to loosen things up. So I, I personally don't have Tua in my elite group at the moment. All right. Yep. I think we're on the same page. I have him, yeah, somewhere probably 11th or 12th, something like that, if I had to really sit down and put a number on it. All right. Just checking in. Glad we're all on the same page. Yeah, I love it. He's surpassed what I thought he was capable of doing totally. by far. Totally. So to totally agree with that. And I apologize to our audience. My AirPods went out, so I'm now on speakerphone. But uh, we'll – slug on through it as as we go uh the giants beat the commanders on sunday night football very entertaining game lots of close calls lots of you know controversial stuff uh simon i think i'll uh actually i'm sorry ronan i'll start it off with you and then we'll kick it to simon talk to us about this game yes sir the giants defeated the commanders 20 to 12 and it was not a beautiful offensive game at least from the giants perspective uh they did put up 20 points but six of those points were from Kayvon Thibodeau strip sacking, grabbing the recovery and taking it back to the crib. And then obviously the PAT after. Uh, so seven of their 20 points came from Kayvon Thibodeau, basically. Uh, now, obviously, you know, take those seven points off. They still win 13, 12, yada, yada, yada. But the commanders had more total yards, 387 to the Giants total yards, 288. That's a almost 100 yards more uh of offense which typically uh if a, one offense has 100 more yards than the other on what they they had 6.7 yards per play compared to the giants 4.6 i mean they they slacked them but yet still the giants are still here uh, now they've got one more division win climbing up the ranks uh but cave on thibodeau uh just talked about a strip sack that man had a day eight solo tackles 12 total uh I, I would say that that pick that they spent on Kayvon was very well spent Simon love Kayvon Thibodeau man I mean when a guy can spend three years as a consensus number one pick and then you get to draft draft the year and, and you're like ah you know what never mind we're gonna drop him down to five that's just silly stuff man I can't believe it to, to be a defensive end and have double-digit tackles in one game is just insane. And he was living behind the line of scrimmage. He was reading the uh, run-pass option from the commanders all game. I mean, he was just on another world. Ronan, I had all those same things written down, right? How do you have 100 less yards of offense and you win the game by more than a field goal, right? Or win the game at all. And it comes down to commanders fans are going to say bad calls by the referees and i do get that but take care of your own business first it comes down to turnovers take those two penalties away and you still have two fumbles that resulted in yeah that touchdown by thibodeau like you said but also a six point swing when you at, at least when you talk about commanders driving the ball in the red zone and heineke fumbles again um when you at least could have gotten a field goal and i'm pretty sure it led to a field goal down the other end for the giants at that point so you take one of those two things away and and it's now, you know, it's a, a much, much closer game that you're still in right there at the end. Um, I, I understand blaming the refs. I totally do. They totally messed up those two calls. Um, although the whole mechanics of checking with a ref on if you're legal or not, like I really love to dig into that at some point. Like 
is it really the ref's responsibility to tell you? He's he's looking at a lot of things. Former ref here, so I'm I'm very soft on the refs. I do understand that. But at the end of the day, yeah, probably two bad calls, and I get that. But you got to take care of business, man. And you had two weeks to plan for this team, right? The commanders played this team two weeks ago, then had a bye week. The Giants had to go play the Eagles after they had this matchup where they tied. And the Giants were still more well-coached, and I thought had a better game plan anyway. Saquon Barkley seems to be back. Um, the commanders had no kind of solution for him. So you you got to think as much as, yeah, you want to blame the refs, you, you got to look at yourself first. Got to, got to look at the man in the mirror, right? And uh, there's a little 80s reference for everybody. And yeah, that's that's where I'm leaving off with this game. I'll make a quick note here before we move off, the, off this game to the next one. What we talked about in the offseason, how for rookies right now, defense is way harder to learn than it used to be 10, 20 years ago. Used to, you just lined up and hit somebody. You learned the rest of it later. That's just not the case anymore. We talked about Quay Walker, Simon, you did. Mm -hmm. Ronan, you mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau. These guys are coming on late in the season. It just starts to come together. I think the same thing for offensive linemen as well. Some of these positions take time. When you're a wide receiver, you just go out there and catch the ball. When you're a running back, you just run it. Quarterback, it takes some time. you got to throw it. But uh, the defense is very, very difficult to learn from what these guys are doing these days. They can't just line up and just punch somebody in the mouth the way they used to. Uh, the Vikings and the Colts, 39 to 36. This was insanity. And uh, Simon, I'll let you talk about it in a second, but I'm going to hand out an award here. Uh, the Jekyll and Hyde Award. I think I've handed this out to the Vikings earlier in the year. They're going to get it again today, the tale of two halves. I wish the real Vikings team would stand up here. I have no clue which one's the real one, but they get my Jekyll and Hyde Award for being awful in the first half and being untouchable in the second half. Simon, take it away. Here's the thing, man. We have to figure out the right way, the right time and place to go for it on fourth down and the wrong time. Now, this isn't old man yells at cloud about analytics and all these young hotshot coaches going for it on fourth down. Cause it's not that at all. You go for it on fourth down. If you're within like your own 45 and in towards the opponent's territory, heck yeah, go for it on fourth and short, man. You, you do it, but don't panic in the first quarter when you're down 17 zero under weird circumstances right normally you go forward on fourth down when you need a momentum swing right when you're not doing anything right you're looking for answers that's not what was happening to this colts team so to give some context here um here here are the first few possessions of this game the colts go down they have the ball first 11 plays they get a field goal okay great the vikings three and out they punt punt gets blocked return for a touchdown now they're down 10-0 vikings get the ball they fumble the charge or the Colts then get the ball after the fumble, score a touchdown. You're down 17-0, but on weird circumstances, right? You're not playing that bad. You're not not having the ability to go score. You had a punt blocked and you fumbled the ball. Completely random things. Stick to your game plan. Don't go crazy and do all this weird stuff because here's what the Vikings did their next two plays. Three and out, and instead of punting, they go for it on fourth down from their own 31 yard line twice two times from their own 31 down 17-0 still in the first quarter you punt that stuff away the Colts are bad on offense guys even with those turnover on downs in their own territory from their 31 the Colts only got six points out of that on those two possessions 
punt the ball away, give up three points at most. Because look, you scored, what, three, four straight touchdowns, uh, five straight touchdowns in the second half of this game. You literally put one by the biggest margin in terms of being down. I said that terribly. The biggest comeback in NFL history. You were able to pull that off almost essentially in the fourth quarter. Why do you do this in the first quarter to yourself? What are you doing? Kevin O'Connell, man, just punt the ball. You'll be all right. You can put up 17 points on the Colts with no problem in the second quarter and cruise the second half. That's my only note because really the second half was what you would expect from this whole game in its entirety, right? Uh, They are a much better team. You take away the flukiness of some turnovers, you're going to be fine. We saw this with the Texans these last two weeks against the Chiefs and against the Cowboys. The Texans took advantage of some turnovers, some mistakes by the other team, but in the end, the better team wins out. That's just how football and how sports work. Don't panic, Vikings. Don't do this to yourself. But you at least continue to prove to people you can win in no matter what kind of circumstance you're under. Um, and they were had been there before down, you know, they lost that 40 to 3 game against the Cowboys, right? So they they have the experience. So way, way to go, Vikings, I guess. Simon, there was you said a lot. I'm gonna come back to yeah. you for, for more on yeah. this game in a second, because I know you could talk on it for an hour. So I'll let you think about what else you want to talk about in relation to this game. But do you realize all the ridiculousness of what you just said? How insane some of no. this stuff is? I'm going to make an analogy here that I think you'll appreciate. It reminds me of watching WWF slash WWE back in the day. The games we've seen this year in the NFL, where one wrestler just beats the crap out of the other guy for the whole match. And then all of a sudden at the end, <laughs> the other guy comes back and wins <laughs> inexplicably. My grandpa used to say, you don't have to be fake because you can't beat a man half to death and him come back and win. <laughs> but in the WWF, WWE, and the NFL, you can this year. It's been insane. The playoffs are going to be lit, if I could borrow that term. They are going to be insane. Never um, stop that term. I, we'll get a couple of duds for sure. But you know, you know somebody is going to be up 25 to nothing and lose a playoff game, and everybody gets fired. It's just, you know it's waiting to happen. We had to sit there and watch the Rams and Packers all the way to the fourth quarter because of what Baker freaking did two weeks ago on Thursday Night Football. We were yes. like, oh, I was ready to turn the game off at half. I mean, I kind of did turn the game off at halftime, but I knew we couldn't stop the podcast right away because you just never know anymore. It's nuts. Stupid. You don't, and we had the, the, the Buccaneers do that to the Saints. You mentioned it uh, a couple weeks before mm-hmm. that, but it's been all season. Simon, anything else here on the Vikings and Colts specifically, either one of these teams moving forward? No, that's it. Just Kevin O'Connell, just chill out, man. To, you know, Go go take a shower if you're down 17 nothing in the first quarter again. Let, let Kirk Cousins call the plays for a little bit. It'll be fine. Nobody worry. Lots of fun. It was a it was fun offseason. It's been a fun NFL season. I think the playoffs are going to live up to it as well. Uh, Thursday night football, reach back a few days here. The 49ers beat the Seahawks 21 to 13. Uh, Simon, I'll kick it to you here. Uh, 49ers got up big, and, and I don't know if they coasted or shut it down or what, but uh, talk to us a little bit about the 49ers and the Seahawks. Yeah, I completely forgot the Seahawks scored towards the end of that game. And, and once I remembered that, I remember watching it and feeling like, yeah, that doesn't matter. Even though the 49ers still, I think, had the ball for like five or six minutes after that. You just, knew kind of what was going to go on but really san francisco just swallowed up the seahawks really impressive offense this season and and you guys have said it i was a little late coming to it but the 49ers have the best defense in the nfl right now and, and there's no doubt about it um 
Seattle in the first half only ran 33 plays for 86 yards and scored three points and turned the ball over once. Two drives went backwards. One drive was 12 plays and 62 yards of that 33 plays and 86 yards. So take that away. You, you do the math. 21 plays for uh, 21 yard, 25 yards. That's, I mean, that just kind of tells you Seattle is continuing continuing to struggle uh, on the ground offensively here in the second half of the season. Um, and we'll talk about them later, I'm sure. But they're they're really shooting themselves in the foot in terms of playoff chances as they get into these hard stretch games at the end of the year. Yeah, and talk about the playoffs. Uh, Ronan, we got your section coming up, Ronan's rankings. We're going to do three different uh, sections of rankings. He's working on that. We're also going to do some playoff predictions on both sides here. So we're going to get into that. You know, the Seahawks 7-7, seven and seven. Uh, Washington's got a chance, uh, Detroit's on fire. We'll get into all that here in just a little bit. First of all, though, I want some scores from Simon. Simon's going to uh, score some some units and, and some players as well from Sunday's action, the weekend's action here. And first on my list, Simon, the Buccaneers offense Sunday versus the Bengals. And the reason I ask is great first half, awful second half. So when you mesh it all together moving forward, how would you score the Buccaneers offense Sunday? So here's what happened. The the Buccaneers were a young, plucky college student. Let's call them Ronan. All right. Ronan uh, came out of his midterm in, in Econ 101. I don't even know if they call him 101 anymore. And he had a 90. He was cruising. He was turning in all his homework assignments on time. He was doing great on all the quizzes. He was doing the discussion threads on Blackboard. I don't know if it's Blackboard anymore. I don't know. And he even got a really good grade on his midterm. He, he went home on a little one-week break with a 90. He felt really, really good. He stopped doing his work after that. He showed back up in the second half of the semester. He didn't turn anything in. He didn't do the discussion posts. He started failing quizzes. And, and you know what? He even failed his final. Oh. But, you know, he, he turned in that one extra credit assignment to try to make things respectable. So he gets a 10% in the second half of the semester, bringing his grand total for the semester at a 50%, which is an F. All that to say, it, it was an F from the Bucks. You, I don't care what you do in the first half. Um, four or five turnovers there in the second half. They kind of get that last kind of touchdown at the end um, to try and make it somewhat respectable. But uh, the first half, everything was kind of rolling. They were doing play action stuff. Brady was connecting with all his receivers, and everything was looking great. And then the second half, they just completely shut it off, went back to run, run, pass, and, and just not really doing anything to help themselves. And, you know, when you do that, you're easy to adjust to. The Bengals were able to start getting pressure on Brady in the second half, despite the fact that, you know, Hubbard was out of the game at that point. You know, you could feel Hendrickson not being there in the first half, but then Hubbard leaving, uh, I don't know if that kind of spurred them. Uh, Joseph Osai, I think is his name, came in, um, and they were really talking him up on the broadcast. He had a real good impact on the second half. So uh, I'm going to give the Bucks offense a 50% for an F. Uh, in this game against the Bengals, it's a fair point because as good as they looked in the first half, they did they didn't do squat in the second half, and the Buccaneers' offense has struggled all year, so uh, they really don't get the benefit of the doubt here, even for their first half production. Number two, this one's interesting to me because we talked about the Jaguars and and, and they they've lost their offensive tackle, but he was there for the game against the Cowboys. I want to know how you score the Jaguars' offensive line versus that Cowboys' pass rush because. The Cowboys have a defense that's been good all year, but it's been the pass rush that has really just fueled all of that. So talk to me about the Jaguars' offensive line against the Cowboys' pass rush. 
So I went a little different way with my scoring uh, on question number two here. I'll use Ronan as another example. Ronan left Econ 101 with that 50% and needed to improve his grades. Um, so he took uh, Intro to Physical Education, which is a pass-fail course. Um, and he passed. Great job, Ronan. Way to go. Um, offensive line, as much as I like to dive into it, as much as Ben likes to dive into it, at the end of the day, it's a pass-fail course, right? Did you protect your quarterback? Did you get a run game going? Or did you not? And the Jaguars passed. And, you know, sometimes when you're in a class with uh, really tough grades and extenuating circumstances come up, the professor is nice and lets it become pass-fail. And when you're starting left tackle, goes out with a meniscus tear after you're starting right tackle, temporarily left the game with a calf strain himself, I think was what uh, uh, Juwan Taylor's injury was and had to come back in. Um, you know what? Pass fail. Did you get the job done? Yes. I think Lawrence was sacked two times, um, hurried a couple more times. I think there was really only one bad, really bad rep by the offensive line uh, on a stunt where they didn't read from Dallas. And that was early in the game. Uh, and like I said before, they had a great rushing attack. So pass fail Jaguars pass. Great job. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. Cause again, I, I've been hinting at this for a few weeks. Cowboys defense, some people think it's a great defense. I think it's a great pass rush with average linebackers and average secondary overall. But that pass rush is insane. And for the Jaguars to hold up in any way against that onslaught says a lot for this young team and, and for a team that's you know trying to find its way. So I, I love that grade there. The Jaguars were able to, to do something there. Number three, Simon, the Lions offense versus the Jets defense. I'll set the table real quick here. My level of respect for the Jets defense is insane. Ronan brought it up a few weeks ago that they should probably be mentioned in the top five, and they should be. They're good at every level, and I mean really good at every level. They're not just, uh, you know, they're not a one-trick pony. They're not a gimmick. They're a little young, but they are really, really good. But how did the Lions offense do against that defense when the Lions won on Sunday? I gave the Lions a C plus for this. Uh, medium po point total uh, against the Jets. That like in terms of how many points the Jets gave up in this game was about their median level for the season. So on the lower end of the spectrum for the Lions, they've definitely had much much better performances offensively. But they got the job done. They didn't turn the ball over. They converted when they needed. They were only five of fifteen on third down, but they were two of three on fourth down. Um, which helped lead to the game-winning play and some really good play calls on some really big downs as well. Uh, and we see this over and over again. When they're in a kind of key situation, they always can come up with a really good play call, whether it's tackle Panesul motioning across the line and becoming a tight end in the flat, or in this game, a play action uh, with uh, Amon Ross St. Brown going right and, and your tight end wide open on the left to, to go get a touchdown. Um it it was a good, solid performance, and again, the no turnovers is big, so I could probably even bump that grade up a little bit, but we're used to this team putting up 30s and, and even into the 40s in terms of points, and because their defense isn't that great, even though it's good at this game, uh, you would like them to score more than 20 long term, but for this game, it was acceptable grade. C's get degrees, right? C-plus for the Lions. Yeah, and that's huge for the Lions because earlier this season and all of last year, they would have found a way to lose this game, and instead they found a way to win it. Tough de against a tough defense on the road, they found a way to win it. So hats off to the Lions for that. Number four, last one for Simon here. 
scoring the Panthers' offensive line against the Steelers. There, there's a lot of pieces there that we kind of like for the Panthers, but how did they actually hold up against the Steelers on Sunday? Listeners might be wondering, why are we talking about the Panthers' offensive line? And it's because Ben loves Ikmaquanu more than anything, and I, even more strangely, love Brady Christensen more than anything. Um, I hate to say it, Ben, but they did real bad. Everybody did real bad in that game. So, you know, I talked about Jaguars' pass-fail, how they did. Uh, this is definitely, if I had to stick to that same thing, I would say fail. I, I gave the Panthers like a D minus. So yeah, that's basically failing. They had a rough time. It was their worst running game of the season. They put up 21 rushing yards in this one. And this is coming after the Pittsburgh Steelers gave up their highest rushing total against Ravens last week of over 200 yards. Uh, I can say from experience, being a part of Steelers Twitter, Steeler fans were right back to their old ways thinking this run defense was exactly like it was last year. They were not going to do that again this season. They shut down the run game. Um, and a lot of that was just the Panthers were not getting any push up front. Darnold also took four sacks. Again, uh, sacks is a QB and O-line kind of stat. You have to see everyone to really decide who the blame was on. Um, but still four times is bad one way or another, no matter how, how you look at it. Um, they just didn't really do anything to help this offense, which really, like I said earlier, did not have any production. So D minus or basically fail for the Panthers O-line. Yeah, I totally agree. Not a good day. There's pieces there we like, but they're not there yet. And, it, you know, maybe next year and maybe late next year, we'll see. Offensive line takes time for those rookies to to develop for sure in today's NFL. All right, Ronan, back to you. I've got three rankings I need from you, starting with rank the NFC top five teams at this point. So number one through five, kind of pirate ranking, not five weeks from now, but just right now, your NFC one through five. All right, so we're going to go ahead and go five to one. And My fifth best team in the NFC right now is the same team that we talked about last week that I slotted into this five spot, the Detroit Lions. Man, I, I remember you two were way higher on them than I was probably week six, maybe even earlier. Uh, and you guys were kind of looking into the crystal ball, and I, I kind of viewed as a borderline joke like there's no way the Lions actually sneak their way into a wild card spot right like no shot and then here they are with one of the most dangerous offenses in the NFC and somehow their defense has picked it up since the beginning of the season obviously it's a young core of uh, guys so you know a little bit of uh, battle testedness you know season together will uh, get you some experience at four I've got the Cowboys uh, they just lost to the Jaguars in overtime. I'm not going to take that one too much to heart. You know, the, they're still a very, very well-built team. They're able to run. They're able to toss it around. As you guys have mentioned, they have a phenomenal pass rush. I've got the 49ers at three, and I struggled with this one, man. I really did. And if they had anyone who wasn't named Brock Purdy back there, they'd be the easy plug-in at two. But Brock Purdy is still back there. And he's he's winning games with them. You know, he hasn't shown us anything for us to fade him yet. Uh, but you know, he's not necessarily putting together Patrick Mahomes type of plays. Uh, I've got the Vikings at two. They just uh, that that game was insanity. They should have oh. won it, but they did. Um, Pat, or Kirk Cousins had what I think it was like 460 yards on like 55 pass attempts, something nuts like that. 
I mean, if Saturday Kirk is airing it out like that, I mean, granted he wasn't in the first half, uh, you know, watch out if it's wild card weekend. I'm just saying. <laughs> and then I've got the Eagles, who have been the consensus number one team uh, in the NFC really since the beginning of the season. Uh, with Jalen Hurts getting injured, that's probably going to maybe alter some things, but I don't necessarily view his injury as long-term, or at least long-term in terms of impacting the playoffs. Uh, so I've still got the Eagles there at number one. The NFC is shaping up to be more interesting than I expected it to at the start of the season. So I'm I'm happy to see it, especially coming off of some of the, the changes here. Uh, Ronan, number two, rank the three worst teams in the entire NFL at this point in the season. All right, so the top three, or I guess you could say bottom three teams, uh, worst teams in the league. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start off with, and I, I don't know how you guys are going to take these three picks. Uh, I, I kind of have a – this was tough for me, especially to pick three of the worst teams um, because I, it's the NFL, right? They're all getting paid to do it, and all it takes sometimes is – you know, a brilliant head coach or a brilliant coordinator, and things can get flipped around. But with that being said, uh, the first team I'm going to list is the Arizona Cardinals. And the question is, the worst team as, as of right now, and without Kyler Murray, they lose whatever hope, whatever danger they had in that offense, uh, it's gone. Uh, we're talking about a team, they've given up 40 sacks, sacks that or this year, uh, which is the seventh worst in the league. Uh, they've also been last in the league in yards per attempt, but they're top 10 in the league in completion percentage. So go ahead and put that kind of in, into perspective of, you know, what, what, what the heck are they doing? What, what, what kind of offense are they trying to run here? Yeah. Uh, you know, with, without Kyler, this obviously pretty much goes AWOL. This season was AWOL. Uh, but the Cardinals haven't been able to run they haven't been able to pass, and the defense has given up 17 rushing touchdowns, which is tied for fifth worst in the league. And they've also given up 25 passing touchdowns, which is tied for second worst in the league. So we're talking about a team with multiple issues. Uh, so there's my first uh, worst team in the NFL, and I'm not necessarily ranking them, uh, but my second one, uh, this is a little bit of an easier answer, uh, the Houston Texans. Now, the, the overall talent gap, between their roster and other teams in the league is just it's still too wide uh from whenever they sold all of their even decent contributors besides Tunsil and cooks which at this point i think they just dislike cooks and they just want to like give them the finger <laughs> um but th there are multiple questionable decisions uh going on in houston going back to last off season with the hiring of levy smith even though they were in love with josh mccown um you know just from the beginning of the season, we all kind of knew that this would kind of be a borderline train wreck. Uh, they, they've won a game, which, you know, is probably more than some could say they expected from them this year. Uh, but Simon, you and I, well, we were all talking about it uh, before the podcast. The decision to put Jeff Driscoll in uh, over Davis Mills, who has who's young, he's shown something, and, and then to just put driscoll and basically as like a Taysom hill like oh we're gonna fool them uh, it's 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 grasping at my straws existence here. Yeah. of my existence it's grasping at straws and then i'll conclude with uh the 
third worst team, in my opinion, in the league as of right now. And it pains me to say this. And they did just have a nice come from behind victory against the Raiders uh, last week. But it's the Rams. That offense is a shell of what it once was. And we're talking about a team going into the season that was built upon superstars. And now they only have two left. And that's Jalen Ramsey and Bobby Wagner. Uh, They're the only two healthy guys left standing. Everybody else is pretty much a backup or was a backup at the beginning of the season. And it's almost it's almost similar to the Texans, uh, which is kind of odd because one is has the majority of their starters and the other one is playing with almost all backups and they're putting up borderline similar production. Uh, But with how bad the Rams have been banged up this year. Uh, so many people going on injured reserve, their offensive line having to reshuffle it so many times. Uh, it's just been a crapshoot, and uh, their production has showed that. Yeah, fair enough. I, I like it. That's, I mean, you know, like you said, things can change in a heartbeat, even from week to week sometimes. But, yeah, I, at the moment, I think those are those are fair points on all three of those teams. Final question, Ronan. I'm going to take a little bit to set this thing up. But uh, rank the two worst coaches in the NFL – and is it too late for those two coaches to save their job? Now, Simon had a much more interesting way to put this, so I'm going to phrase it this way. Name two coaches who have really stunk it up the past two years or who are getting Fs is really what we're getting going after. They've been getting Fs, but they got a chance. Do they have a chance, I guess is the question, with that big final? Let's say the final grade is worth 50%, you know, whatever. The final is worth 50% of the, of the whole grade. Do those two guys, whoever they are, whoever you have, do they have a chance to actually rescue it here over the final three weeks? So what you got? Uh, the first name I'll give you guys uh, is the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. We just talked about all of the issues that they have going on around that team. And, you know, you, you can point the finger and say that, well, this guy's not producing or this guy's not producing. They don't have a culture in Arizona. They just don't. There's no they don't have an identity offensively. You know, they, they kind of they do a little bit of everything, which is cool. But at a certain point, you kind of have to hunker down and build an identity and do, do what you're good at, because unfortunately, it's not Madden. You can't be great at everything. Uh, so Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he had some success last year. He started out seven and oh, and then they trailed off last year uh, in the second half of last year uh, and then lost in the wild card round to the Rams. And then obviously this year has been a complete crapshoot. And it's not because they haven't had the talent. You know, even without DeAndre Hopkins at the beginning of the year, they still had weapons, uh, way more weapons than a lot of other teams. So you can't blame it. You can't use that as an excuse. Uh, Their defense, they have names, at least. Uh, They weren't expected to be a top five defense, but they weren't supposed to be tied for second and tied for fifth and allowing touchdowns like that you can't do that especially whenever you're giving up both ways uh so they've got to build some sort of identity in arizona and that's going to be very tough especially if they do end up firing kingsbury because kyler's not going to be playing next year so you're gonna have to get someone like dan campbell who can kind of just bring the guys together and say hey all right, it's it's us versus them, and no one expects us to win these games because, uh, well, we don't have Kyler. Um, but yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, 
I think he's close to on his way out. To answer your question, though, Ben, as to whether or not he can save his job, I have a hard time seeing a game that justifies keeping him around this year, unless you think Colt McCoy is going to pop off for 400 yards or something, you know, on this masterclass scheme. I have a hard time seeing the Cardinals being able to justify keeping him around. It's a great point. You mentioned the Cardinals defense in terms of points per game is now the worst with the Lions having improved week to week off of that just disaster of an early part of the season. Uh, the Cardinals are, just are not measuring up in, in any way. It's been dysfunctional even when they were somewhat healthy. It, it has not been good. All right. Uh, we're going to hit our playoff predictions here in just a second. Anything anybody else wants to add on, on anything that we've covered so far? I don't believe so. All right. Let's do some playoff stuff. Simon, I'm going to let you trot yours out first. Uh, I'll let you decide if you want to do the AFC first or the NFC first. You can just drop a seven on whichever side you want, and then we'll go. We'll, we'll stay on that side, and then we'll rotate back through. Simon? All right, let's start with the AFC in terms of uh, predicting playoff teams. So my division winners that I have are the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, and I'm going with the Jaguars. I'm ready. I'm here for it. This was my team preseason that I said would be in it until the very end, the last week or two. And this slide the Titans are on makes that very last week so, so important. The Titans are 7-7, seven and seven, and they have games against the Texans, the Cowboys, and the Jaguars remaining. The Jags are 6-8, and eight, one game behind, and have games against the Jets, the Texans, and the Titans. Now, remember, the Jaguars have already beaten the titans this season so it's going to be very very important that last matchup at the end of the year um i have both teams going eight and nine but i have the jags beating the titans once again in that in week 18 taking the afc south away from the titans um the wild card teams i have in the afc are the chargers who i have finishing at 10 and 7 2 and 1 over their last three the dolphins also at 10 and 7 2 and 1 in their last three and then the Ravens, who I didn't even look at their stuff, but 10 or 11 wins probably, but I have them not obviously win the AFC North. So the big team that I have missing along with the Titans is the Jets, who I think are just going to squeak into a kind of 9-8 and eight record. They have the Jaguars, the Seahawks, and the Dolphins remaining on their schedule. So they have a tough slate ahead of them here. I think they're just going to run out of steam. But my seven are Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Jags, Chargers, Dolphins, Ravens. Ronan, before you jump in, I'm just going to go ahead and echo what Simon said on the AFC side. I've got the same thing. Um, I'll start with the Jets, who I don't have getting in. I'm not trying to fade them. They deserve yeah. to be in. They could get in, but just but when you when you kind of let it all shake out there, it looks like they may just be the odd man out. I mean, that's just you know unfortunate. But I mean, they're going to have to kind of pull a rabbit out of the hat here, and they that they're it's just not quite there, especially on the offensive side this year. So that's that's where I'm at on that. Jaguars, wildly inconsistent, but the Titans are definitely sliding downward. Uh, we, we've already mentioned it. They fired their GM. They are banged up all to pieces. Even when Derrick Henry runs for yardage, they don't seem to pull out a win the, the past few weeks, and teams have found a way on a lot of these weeks to shut him down. Uh, they found a way to load the box. Tannehill's banged up. We didn't even get to cover that in the injury section. Tannehill's banged up. So it's not going well for the Titans. Uh, they still have that head-to-head. Simon, you already mentioned that Jaguars have already beat them. So, uh, yeah, I- I'm there. Ronan, AFC, anything different? 
Uh, it's not too far off from you guys's. So, uh, for the division winners, I've got the Bills, I got the Chiefs, I got the Bengals, and then I've got the Titans. So, I do think that the Titans end up closing out the AFC South. I think they're a well enough coached team that they're able to kind of turn it around uh, here towards the end of the season, looking towards the uh, playoffs. Now, as far as the wild card goes, I've got the Ravens, the Chargers, and the Dolphins. Uh, it's pretty much what what we're sitting at right now. Uh, I'm with you guys uh, with the Jets. I don't think offensively they're going to be able to keep up and uh, land themselves in the playoffs. They'd have to have a huge, huge valiant push uh, from their defense uh, to find themselves in the wild card rate or spot. Uh, but, you know, I think any of these seven teams have a legitimate shot. I, I, I think the bills and the chiefs are considered the favorites uh, coming out of the AFC, but man, like these seven teams, anybody can beat anybody. Yeah. See, I agree. That's, there may be teams that I wouldn't pick to go to the Super Bowl on the AFC side, but you're right. Who wants to play the Ravens if Lamar Jackson's back and they're somewhat healthy? I Nobody. <laughs> nobody wants to play them. <laughs> they could beat anybody. Uh, same thing for the Chargers. If the Chargers are healthy, I may not pick them for the Super Bowl, but they can beat anybody there. Um, I, there's somebody that's going to get surprised on the AFC side. Don't know who, but it's, uh, it's, it's just going to happen. Uh, Ronan, I'll keep it with you here but we'll slide over to the NFC side. I'll let you set the table for, for who you have on the seven teams there. Absolutely. So for the NFC side, division winners, I've got the Eagles uh, winning the NFC East. I've got the Vikings winning the NFC North, the 49ers winning the NFC West, and the Buccaneers winning the NFC South. I don't think any of these are too far-fetched. Uh, and then the wild card spots, I've got the Cowboys at five, the Giants at six, and I've finally done it. I, I'm I'm in. Uh, I'm in. Lions at seven. They're going. Jared Goff, go get another one. Go get your first one, actually. Go to another one, though. Ronan, I love it. I That's that's what I'm going to have there. Um, I'll start with the Giants. Those two games against Washington. I mean, that was it. Washington should have won at least one. Yeah. They didn't. That, too bad. I think that's what's going to happen. The Giants now have not only tiebreakers, but they're a full game, game and a half. Yeah, a full game ahead on that. Um, the Lions are on fire. There's just no way I'm not going to pick the Lions here over Seattle and then I guess Washington. So I'm going to put the Lions in. And the NFC South, I, I really, 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 really want somebody besides Tampa Bay to win that thing. I just can't pick them. I mean, I just expect them to choke. We saw Carolina against the Steelers on Sunday. They eh, didn't look too good, you know. I mean, they're in their fight. They're trying hard. But, you know, and Atlanta's had their chances this year. Um, they just can't seem to quite pull it out. So, uh, I'm going to pick Tampa Bay there, too. But <laughs> I don't like it. Simon, what you got? I've got all the same teams, guys. We're real boring. Yeah, the NFC South. <laughs> I was so ready to to pick one of these other teams, but here's who everybody's playing the rest of the way. The Bucks are playing the Cardinals, Panthers, and Falcons. Panthers are playing the Lions, Bucks, and Saints. Saints are playing the Browns, Eagles, and Panthers. Falcons are playing the Ravens, Cardinals, and Bucks. Um, so obviously they're they're going to continue to beat up on each other. But the Bucks are three and one already in this division this season. I think Brady's going to be able to get to eight wins and and seal this thing up. 
the the rest of the wild card is tough. Yeah, the Giants have that game lead over everybody, basically. I think they're going to be in. They get to play the Colts and then the Eagles in week 18 when they probably have everything sewn up. They'll probably be resting some guys. So I think that's probably two wins for the Giants there. The Commanders, 7-6-1, and one, but they have to play the 49ers and then the Cowboys, uh, even though the Cowboys might not be playing for anything. So even if you give them a win in that and the Browns, that's nine wins. Um the Seahawks, they have tough games, Chiefs and Jets, and then Rams in week 18. Sean McVay, one last kind of stand. That could even be a loss. Uh, but the Lions, man, just as we've been saying, on fire. But here's who they play the next three weeks, the Panthers, the Bears, and the Packers in week 18. You want to know what this Packers team is going to look like when they've mailed it in and, and Rodgers is, is in you know Barbados or somewhere that is a remote island that's not on a map anywhere? I mean, I guess Jordan Love might be playing for something a little bit more, so maybe that that could potentially be a loss. Um, so then it gets interesting, 9-7 and seven versus 9-6-1 and one with the Commanders. But I think the Lions are going to take care of business because, you know, imagine what how bad Rodgers would look or the Packers would look in a meaningless game. Can you imagine how fired up this Lions team would be at 9-6 and six or 9-7? and seven? They need one more win to get in. They control their own destiny. They're playing a division rival. Dan Campbell might put a helmet on. They might sign him and, and let him yes. play. I don't know. Um, <laughs> if they can, if they win against the Panthers and Bears and they officially win and in in week 18, they are not losing that game. And and now we're talking about not only Bear or Lions sneaking into the playoffs, but double digit win Lions. Um oh boy. Oh is it boy. sneaking That's, in or is it kicking the doors down? It's 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 Kool-Aid man through the wall into the playoffs. And I just want everybody <sighs> that was on Fire Dan Campbell Island after week five to uh to to show the receipts. Yeah, Ben, raise your hand. Thank you. Uh our our good friend who uh, I hope is listening, Robertson, uh raise your hand as well. Odds on favorite. We're calling you out a little bit. Um yeah, man, Dan Campbell's the truth. Yeah, I love it. I I hope the Lions win the freaking Super Bowl. But, yeah, back when they were like one and six or whatever, I was like, guys, this ain't going to be good. Even though everybody loves Campbell, if he can't do something here, he's gone. Like, right. you know, love ain't going to get it done. And they've come up with a whole bunch more. So, um, anybody else with anything uh, NFL-wise before we shut it down tonight? Do we think uh, Belichick has lost the reins? Should we, should we say something about that real quick? That uh, last lateral, or are we just going to say Jacob oh, Myers geez. brain fart and and move on? <laughs> that was tough. Real that was <laughs> low IQ play, just to say the least. That's man, Belichick. I can't imagine how mad he was. I can't imagine. Oh my to, god! To be a fly on the wall in that locker room. That film session on on. Monday morning, man, or I guess oh. that was today on Tuesday morning, maybe. I don't know. Just... The amount of anxiety you would have, like, could you imagine? Can you take a sick day on Tuesday? Can you just like call in, uh, file with HR? Hey, I got eight hours personal time. I just got to take the day. I'll, I'll be in. I'll be in that. You know, on field sessions. How Bummer. many times have we watched the Raiders lose a game in some yeah. crazy fashion like that? And how many times have we watched the Patriots and Belichick get some kind of a freaking break to win a game like that? And it's weird to see the roles reversed, especially on the same week that we watched Brady blow a 17-point lead. Uh, we're not used to that, but things turn around. Don't they? 
My, how the turns have tabled. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better myself, Simon. Uh, all right, I think we're done. That was, I think that we're was done. bad. That was bad. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much. If you made it all the way to the end of that, a uh, little treat for you there. It's it's very late here. Everybody give us a break. And it's almost the holiday season, or it is the holiday season. It's almost the holidays. So uh, we are going to get out of here now. Finally, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. As always, we hope everyone's having a wonderful holiday week and season. Uh, make sure you follow the pod uh, at Phantom Football on Twitter. Make sure you email us, please, questions, comments. You want to yell at us. You want to go fight back at us for saying your takes were bad. Uh, PhantomFootballPod at gmail.com um be with us every single tuesday as we break down and get into the end of the regular season and the playoffs uh we can't wait to do it again next week so everybody thank you so much have a good one the phantom football podcast is brought to you by prediction strike does the idea of the stock market interest you but you aren't really sure what you're doing check out prediction strike Prediction Strike is an app where you can invest in athletes like stocks. Buy and sell your stock in an athlete as their value rises and falls. Build your own portfolio of players and sell players before you think they're going to plummet. Download the app and use the code FANTOM at sign up. That's F-A-N-T-O-M. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast.